0: You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. We're landing the plane on our summer series entitled Scent. And I trust and pray that over the last 12 weeks or so that you have been challenged by the truth of God's word. Um, We've had a great number of speakers, guests, Pastor Scott pressing into John 20 and and Ephesians 2, and I mean, there's just been some great things as we've walked through this series. But what is important is not simply listening to the Word, but doing what it says. There needs to be a spiritual transformation based on the truth of God's Word that leads to a gospel saturation. We hear it a lot here right? Spiritual transformation leads to gospel saturation, so we're not simply taking in the Word and learning things, but we want to begin to live it out. It should begin to transform our lives and then lead us to gospel saturation. Uh, we, it's on the wall out there. It's our, it's our motto. It's what we are living by, that we are passionate about what? Connecting people to Jesus for life change. Say it Say it with me, say it like you actually have heard this before, okay? We are passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. That's not just something we say as a church, it's not something we do organizationally. We only do things organizationally as a church when we begin to live it out individually as followers of Jesus that make up this thing called the church. We live as sent people. So I trust and pray that through this series, that you have been challenged, that you've been encouraged, that you've taken small steps of faith and obedience and, and lived as one who is sent. So we're going to land the plane on this series. Pastor Scott's kicking off a new series next week uh, in the book of Daniel. Um, but I'll, we're going to go to John chapter 21. If you want to begin to turn there, you are welcome to do that. Um, <clears throat> while you're going there, I, let me just set this up a little bit because uh, have you ever gone home going back to a familiar place, gone back to, as some people say, back where it all began. Um, I love doing that. Just, you know, when I, when I go back to northern Illinois or, if Leslie, as we travel back through Texas and back into Waco, home of Dr. Pepper and, you know, other great things that come out of Waco, um, not the Baylor Bears, but other good things that come out of um, But when I go back to Northern Illinois, I love driving through my old neighborhood. Uh, I love driving past the little house, 1637 Frazier, and going, wow, that's a little house. Um, But all the memories that are tied up in that, and all the the joy, and and I love going back to all my favorite pizza places again, and again, and again. And and, uh, just remember, this is kinda where it began for me. Uh, I've often driven past the little church where I remember so clearly going down in the boiler room of that little church and getting on my knees and inviting Jesus to come into my heart and life and, and trusting Him. And I go back to that moment in my mind so often because it was then that I believed God did exactly what He promised that He would do and He saved me. And I've grown in this process of learning to follow Him and learn to walk with Him and, and uh, but, but that little home you know, in Lake County Gardens, and and I remember the first little three and a half horsepower mini bike that we got from Sears, and cruising it down the street so I could get through the swamp that was there to the old North Shore tracks that my brother and I would ride on, and, and the neighbors, hey, get out, get it off the street, I'm going to call the cops, and you know, I'm just, come on baby go, you know, and um, but those are great memories, but I don't want to live there. I don't wanna go back to that moment because I believe Jesus has taken me step by step to a new place. And there's nothing like following Jesus to new places, to scary places, to places that you are sent, realizing that because God sent me there and I'm following him, he's gonna meet me there. We're going back with Peter and some of the guys to a place that was familiar with them in John chapter 21. Because as they walked with Jesus, they were going back to the place that they first followed him. We're going back to the Sea of Galilee. John chapter 21. Now there's, when you marry all the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all have different accounts of of the resurrection and Jesus. And we know that he spent 40 days uh, with his disciples teaching them and, and yeah, we do, we are told, hey, go back to Galilee, meet me at the Mount. And he gives them the great commission. But there's a back and forth process here between Jerusalem where they have been and Galilee. And I think this is a unique moment because I don't believe this is the point at which Jesus said, go to the Mount in Galilee and where he issued the great commission to them. So I think this is a unique little place in there, and and it's hard to kind of get the timeline all together perfectly, but I think this is a a somewhat unique encounter that Jesus has with them. So, John chapter 21, if you have your Bible and you're ready, say, I'm there. All right. Um, Just to set up just a little bit, uh, as John writes, John's very intimate. Uh, had a close, intimate relationship with Jesus, and His writing is, is very personal, it's very powerful. Uh, John chapter 1 through 16 is really about the public ministry of Jesus, uh, all the things that He did. And, and John 17, then we have this intimate moment with Jesus in the garden. Praying to the Father, what we refer to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. In John chapter 18, we see Jesus arrested. We see Peter's denial. We see Jesus uh, standing before the high priest and standing before Pilate. We move into 19, and he's sentenced to be crucified on a cross. He is then brutally beaten, crucified. He dies. They bury him in a tomb all through chapter 19. Chapter 20 is all about the resurrection of Jesus. John is writing about this glorious, resurrected Savior, the the one that these guys have walked with for three to three and a half years of of public ministry, and now they saw Him brutally beaten and and die on a cross, and they saw Him buried in a tomb, and now in in John chapter 20, He is risen, and He is now interacting with them. What, What an incredible picture. I mean, just imagine the mindset of these guys at this point in time. Then we pick up John chapter 21, verse 1. It begins with the word afterward. Afterward. John 21, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, now just put this in perspective. John chapter 20 is all in Jerusalem. Two appearances um, to the disciples as a group. One specifically to Mary. John tells us. Um, but then two to the disciples as they're gathered together. And so he says, and it happened this way, Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana uh, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. So that's seven. Say it with me. There's seven guys and seven brides. Uh, Totally different story. I won't go there. Verse 3, some of you get that. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. A very familiar story for these guys, wasn't it? We go out, we get nothing. So verse 4, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, the text is going to tell us in just a moment, they're about 100 yards away, Sea of Galilee surrounded by mountains, so it's it's the morning, Uh, the sun may not be hitting him, it's not a surprise that they may not recognize who's 100 yards away on the shore in the early morning. And so verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Interesting, he didn't ask him or ask the guys, have you caught anything? He simply made a declaration of truth haven't you any fish I mean it was it was sort of the question that already has an answer so there's an emptiness because they're doing something here without Jesus no they answered and verse 6 says he said hey throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of a large number of fish. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, that's what they were doing fishing, and he jumped into the water. Sounds like a familiar Peter moment, doesn't it? It's Jesus, I'm out, I'm out, I'm gone. And so he's out and he, he then cruises to shore. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the the net of full fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. So verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I think that tightens our timeline just a little bit. This is the third encounter that they have with Jesus. So we know this is not the great commission moment in Galilee because that is at least 40 days away from his resurrection because he's teaching. He makes numerous appearances to the disciples and Paul tells us even to more than 500 at once did Jesus appear after his resurrection. So this is a unique moment. I think this is just a unique moment in the life of at least these seven disciples. There might be others that have have traveled from Jerusalem up into Galilee, but at least we know of these seven. And so, as we land the plane here this morning on this Scent series, I want to do so by asking four questions. And we're going to extract some things from this text, but I want to ask four questions of everyone that's here and everyone that's attending with us online. And no one can answer these questions for you except you. You Ready? Thank you. You and I will have a discussion over these four. Are you ready? Yes. Let's press in. The first question, have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? See no one can make that decision for you. No one can make that decision, but these guys we know uh, have made the decision to follow Jesus. Because it was right around this very spot, I believe, probably up on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, more around Capernaum, which is sort of where they were first called. They probably went back there. That was sort of their home, their dwelling. Most of these guys were from the Bethsaida area, which is just right near Capernaum. And so this was sort of their natural place that they might have gone. We don't know positively. But we know from all of the Gospels, uh, in in John, he tells us, back in John chapter 1, the, the calling of the first disciples, and he says that these guys followed Jesus. They made a decisive decision of their will to walk away from an old life, and they chose to follow Jesus. Matthew tells us, Mark tells us. Luke tells us in chapter 5, each of the Gospels give us some account of the calling of the first disciples when Jesus said, you come and follow me. And in the process of following me, your life will be transformed because he said, I will make you something that you're not right now. So the idea of following him is, is more than just an intellectual decision. So when I ask this question, have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Let me tell you what I'm not asking you this morning. I'm not asking you if you're part of a church. I- I'm not asking you if you've ever been baptized. I- I'm not asking you if you walked an aisle as a child or as an adult um, in vacation Bible school or, or anything else and, and filled out a card. I- I'm asking you, have you come to the place that you've surrendered your life and you've chosen as a decision of your will to die to yourself and follow Jesus? And you may be thinking, well, you know, I prayed this prayer one time. I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. You see, prayer is is more about the attitude of the heart than the words. It's not about the position of the body. It's the attitude of your heart. If If you recited a prayer in genuine confession and repentance of your sin to a holy God, and you surrendered your life to Him, that's different than just, well, I prayed a prayer. Have you surrendered? Have you given up? The the picture that we have in Scripture of following Jesus is dying to myself, turning in repentance from my sin and myself and walking with someone, and that someone is Jesus. That's the picture that Jesus gave Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus said, God, Jesus, what must I do to see the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, you must be, what, born again. To which Nicodemus says, whoa, how can I do that when I am old? And, the, and the, the idea that Jesus gives him, he says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, that word pistiou in the Greek, literally means to surrender. It's not an intellectual assent. He's telling Nicodemus, you have to die to yourself. You have to surrender your ideas, your ways, confess your sin and repentance and be born again to follow me. Nicodemus was not, at that point, at least willing to pay that price. Have you surrendered? Have you laid it all down? That was the the picture of these guys when they followed Jesus. It says they walked away from everything. They, They walked away. They left their nets. They left the business. They left everything to begin a brand new life in Christ. Second question, are you currently living on mission with Jesus as one who is sent? See, I, m- I remember as a young boy when I came to the place of trusting in Jesus for this, my salvation. I mean, I, I remember it so vividly. I have pictures of that little church. Because I love to I love drive by, kind of return to where it all began for me. I snuck in that little church one day. Uh, while Les and I were up there and I found a door open and I went in and I went, she's, she's laughing over here. I, I snuck in and I went, I went in there and, and uh, all I thought was this is a lot smaller than I remember it. But it was such a sweet moment to remember this is the place and I remember the moment that I surrendered my heart and life to Jesus Christ. But I'm not living here anymore. Because every day I'm choosing to follow him and, and that has been an incredible adventure, step by step god i don 't know where we 're going to be tomorrow i don 't know where we 're going to be next week, but today i 'm going to follow you i 'm going to take a step and i 'm going to walk with you I want God I want my life to be lived as one who is sent. so what happened to these guys that they, they Chose to lay it all down. They followed Jesus. They've been living with Jesus, living under his teaching, seeing incredible things take place for three and a half years, roughly. And and now they see the risen Savior, and they end up back in Galilee, casting nets into a, a sea, trying to catch fish. I don't see anywhere in any of the Gospels that Jesus released them of the responsibility to follow. Now, now, don't get me wrong, I understand the tragedy of John chapter 19. John 18, 19, Jesus is arrested. Bad stuff happens in life, am I right? Bad stuff happens. Incredibly bad things happen with these guys. Uh, the Savior, Jesus, who they placed their trust in, that, that they thought was gonna save everything and fix everything, all of a sudden is now dead and buried in the tomb. Their world has now crashed. <laughs> but then John 20 happens. It's like, wait, he was dead, but now he's alive. I mean, this is, this is life-altering stuff that's taken place in these guys' lives. But then John 21 says now they're back. So uh, I love this context because they've just seen the resurrected Jesus in John chapter 20. Matter of fact, John finishes that portion of his letter. Remember, John didn't separate the chapters and verses, right? He's writing a letter. And he finishes his thoughts that we have as John 20 with these words. Uh, in verse 30, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may What? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and the, by believing you may have life in His name. That word believe is the same root as John chapter 3, "pistuo" in the Greek. It means to surrender. By knowing all these things, it's not just saying, hey, Jesus is awesome. It's saying you can have a relationship with Him. You can be saved through His name. You can have eternal life. But then the very next verse, as John is writing, he said afterward, after what? After Jesus was risen, after he appeared to Mary, after he appeared to the group of disciples in two different occasions uh, that, that he gives us. Verse 21 says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. That's not right next door, people. At least 90 miles, more than likely, if they went up to the northern side, it was probably more like 110 to 115 mile walk. They didn't Uber, they didn't take Amtrak, they didn't drive a car. That was a walk. I mapped it out with Google map and it's at least a 30 hour walk for me. How many are you doing in a day? All all these questions that rise, but they end up in Galilee. We don't know, again, looking at the, the narrative from the different gospels, had Jesus directed them to go and I'm gonna meet you. He did say go and I'm gonna, you'll see him there. But I don't think this is that Great Commission sending. So I'm not really sure how and why these guys end up here. But they end up from Jerusalem up to Galilee. So then verse 2 and 3, Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana, the sons of Zebedee, James, John, the two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, he says. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. (laughs) Why not, right? We just saw our Savior die. We just saw him resurrected. But hey, we're here. Let's go fishing. Seven guys in this moment. That at least in that moment, and I don't want to be too judgmental of these guys, because I'm not sure what I would do. I know that I've blown it a lot in my life. I know that I've walked with Jesus a lot, and I've had difficult moments, and I've, I've sort of backed off. And so I totally understand where these guys are in their head and in their space, but, but I have to just stop and go, what's going through their minds right now, having just encountered the resurrected Jesus at least twice, that they are now out in a boat fishing all night? Does anybody else ask that question? Thank you. Four of us, five of us. I, I, I it just raises a question with me. And then, and then to do this because it, it was familiar to them, and, and so what do they do? They go out and they do this thing that's familiar, and they catch nothing. They, they catch nothing. So now I can just imagine, because again, I put myself in the situation, what I'm thinking now is memories of my past life that I walked away from. I was a failure then, I'm a failure now. Despair, disappointment, discouragement, lack of purpose. I left all this three and a half years ago. Now I'm back here and I'm worse than I was before. Do you see it? I mean, I just just sense it in these guys' life in this moment. Then they have this encounter with Jesus on the shore. Because to me, this is just like me. All of their efforts, the things that they're doing in and of themselves produce nothing. Nothing. We're experts at this. We're we're the professionals. We should be able to produce something, and it produces nothing until Jesus spoke. Do you see it? Jesus speaks into their failure, and something happens. This to me is a picture of ministry. There's so many things we want to do on our our own, things we want to produce. Hey, if we come up with the right ideas, if we come up with the right marketing strategy, if we come up with the right programs and do lots of busy things, and Jesus says, no, 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 all of that is empty unless I speak into it. You can do, and you can do, and you can do, and you can stay out all night, and you can try to fish, and you're going to come up empty because Jesus says, I'm not in that. Be really honest with you, I've had those moments in ministry. And if you've been around church life at all, and and just had this passion, man, I want to follow Jesus, we want to see things happen for the glory of God, and we come up with lots of great ideas, but Jesus isn't in it, guess what happens? Burnout, frustration, abandon the church, God's not in it, God's not good, God's not. I had an encounter with a guy the other day um, who, who was, we were talking, he goes, well, God's good for you, God's not good for me. I said, no, oh, God is good for you. Well, if God was good for me and Jesus is good for me, then, then my wife and my family and I wouldn't be in this situation. I said, your physical situation doesn't change the goodness of who God is, which opened up a discussion. See, my circumstances can be bad. That doesn't change who God is. But if I'm pressing into my own abilities and my own strength, trying to do things for God, uh, I'm telling you, I have been there as a pastor. Discouraged, frustrated, ready to just walk away. And I've had those moments, and and I don't know how to describe it. The the only way I can describe the the feeling I had, I remember a season in my life that, that in the Greek would probably be defined as a spiritual funk. Because it was just a difficult place. God, I'm doing all these things, and I'm trying, and God, I'm trying to, to do things for you, and I'm trying to build your kingdom. But it was discouraging. And so, Jesus speaks into the moment, and so just like me, what, what I believe, these guys began to see anew and afresh, all over again was their purpose and their identity in Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus speaks to them and he's like, hey guys, nothing, right? Are you done trying in your own strength? Are you done now? Well, throw the net on the other side. And all of a sudden, what they couldn't do all night in their own strength produced something great. Why? Because Jesus spoke into it with purpose and victory. He reminded them of their identity, and I truly believe in that moment, reminded them of their calling to follow. I would have to think in that moment that that Peter and James and John and Nathaniel probably all started thinking about Jesus' teaching, and and their mind may have gone back to John chapter 10, where in John chapter 10, he's saying, look, the enemy is coming. He's going to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus says in John 10, 10, but I have come that you might have life. And you might have life abundantly. That word abundant has nothing to do with wealth. It has everything to do with purpose, value, dignity, and honor. I'm giving you a purpose for living. I'm giving you a a life that is worth living with value, with dignity as a child of God. And if they had thought of that, they would have immediately thought of Jesus' continued statement in John chapter 10. Because after this encounter on the beach, he, he then moves to restoring Peter. And we're familiar with that story, aren't we? We're familiar with, with Jesus after breakfast. They're walking along the shore, and Jesus is restoring Peter. And what analogy does Jesus use three times with John or with Peter? Do you, do you love me? Oh, God, you know that I love you. Then what? Feed my sheep. Three times. So if if they would have possibly remembered that, they would have remembered the very next thing that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, which is what? I am the good shepherd. I have come, guys, that you might have life and that you might have life abundantly. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is speaking back into these guys, the hope. Guys, nothing, all night fishing, throw the net on the other side. Let me remind you of your calling. I am the good shepherd. These are my sheep. I am more concerned about lost people than you, but I'm inviting you to the journey with me, to follow me, to be sent to reach lost and dying people. That's what Jesus said, Luke 19, 10. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus loves people. He loves lost people. He invites us into his mission. And listen, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, that is your mission. That is what you are sent to do. Jesus invites you to His mission to follow Him, to send us to reach lost and dying people. And and I don't care how much we argue and debate or prioritize different things. Listen to me really careful. You will never convince me. in this this life, you will never convince me that as a follower of Jesus Christ that there is anything more important than, than reaching lost people. There's nothing more important in this world for a follower of Jesus than to be passionate for lost people. And we'll replace that passion with lots of other things, which is exactly what they did because your next question is simply this is what is your comfort distraction in following jesus what is your comfort distraction in following jesus you see as a follower of jesus we are living on mission with him we're living as one who is sent And I don't I don't want to be overly critical of these guys, but it amazes me having encountered all that you've just seen and heard for the last three and a half years and have just experienced the risen Savior that they would feel comfortable at all going back and going fishing. There's a lot of things that we have in our life that we replace the mission of Jesus with other things. And not all of those things are bad, don't get me wrong but do they become a greater priority than the mission of Jesus? You see, we can immediately start talking about the addictions and, and all kinds of th- things and bad habits and all sorts of different things, but, but not all distractions are bad. Our job, our career, our wealth development, our possessions, all those things can become a distraction. Our residence, our possessions, the cars that we drive, all those things can become a distraction because they become a greater pursuit than the pursuit of God's kingdom. Our family can become a distraction. Our recreation can become a distraction. Let me be really careful here. Church can become a distraction to the mission of Jesus. Sometimes we become more passionate about our church and the experiences that we have for one another at church more than we are for the mission of Jesus. Sometimes I have to admit, I'm probably more guilty of worshiping our worship than worshiping the God of our worship. Because we like styles and we like certain things. And we forget that what we do as children of God is to follow him to a lost and dying world to seek and to save that which was lost. And yet here they are. John 20, they're in Jerusalem. John 21, they're in Galilee. If you flip the page to Acts chapter one, we're back in Jerusalem. God has an encounter with these guys and he's prepping them because truthfully, the sending hasn't taken place because this mission has all been about Jesus. Now he's equipping, he's getting ready to send them to this lost and dying world. And he's saying, guys, no more comfort distractions. Let's just keep moving. Let's keep going. Peter says in verse three, I'm going out to fish. That was a comfortable thing for him. Uh, there's a reason that the number one selling recliner in all of America is called lazy boy, not worker boy, right? I mean, we, we all have, listen, let's be honest. We all have our comforts. We have things that it's, oh man, I don't want to get outside my comfort zone. I've talked to so many people. It's like, have you shared your faith recently? No, I'm, I'm not really comfortable to do that. Well, guess, guess where God wants to take you? Someplace uncomfortable. Jesus is. His whole ministry was going to the, to the broken, the, the, the places that were neglected by other people. Jesus always went to the broken. He stepped outside the norm of society, and He went to those people who were displaced and forgotten. But He was seeking those that were lost. When I look at this passage, I, I simply want to say, be careful who you hang out with. It was Peter who said, I'm going fishing. Six other guys said, hey, we'll go with you. Do you realize the influence that you have in the life of other people? Most of us probably don't realize that we are influencers. Not like social media influencers, but you have serious influence on people around you as a young dad with my kids, they got tired of hearing me quote to them 1 Corinthians 15, I said, guys, remember 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And I would follow it up with just a simple statement. Never underestimate the power of the people that you live life with. Because those people will influence us either for good or bad. They're either going to push you closer to Christ or pull you away from Christ. They're either going to push you into the mission or they're going to pull you away from the mission. When's the last time that you had someone in your life simply say, hey man, let's go out and let's pray for a gospel opportunity to reach lost people. Oh man, can't we just like go to the, you know, wing stop and watch a, watch a game and eat? And then we'll grow in our fellowship as believers, as brothers. Right? Because that's important too. X 2, it's, it's important. They had all things in common. They were meeting regularly in their homes. You realize their small groups doubled every day? I was in a small group on Tuesday with this guy, but Wednesday we launched a new one. Thursday we launched a brand new one. Right? Why? Because they're reaching lost people. People are coming to Jesus, and they're more concerned about the people who are coming to Jesus than they are retreating for themselves to simply be edified. There is a huge balance and a tension between those two things. Do not get me wrong. But it can become a a comfort. So Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, he says, hey, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? This has been an ongoing issue. And so he says, verse 8, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. If you have situations in your life and you're being pulled away from the mission of God or from following him, the Bible talks about us having a divided heart. Then now we become a distraction. Those things that can be great— Even our homes, even our marriage, even our family can become a distraction if it becomes more important than my walk with Jesus Christ and my pursuit of His mission. Here's your fourth question. Will you choose today to follow Jesus? Will you choose today to follow Jesus? Every day there's new opportunity for me in my walk with Christ. It's interesting in John 21, verse 12, Jesus invites them simply to come to him. He says, hey, just just come to me. And it's it. He says, bring what you have. Bring what you have. They, They weren't bringing anything to Jesus that he was not aware of. They were bringing their brokenness. They were br- bringing their hurt. They were bringing their despair, their discouragement, and 153 fish. <laughs> but Jesus said, hey, come to me. Come up on the shore. Let's have breakfast together. Just come to me. Today, guys, choose to follow me. Today, choose to enter into relationship with me. Guys, today, choose to walk in fellowship with me. Choose today to follow me, to live sent on mission for the purpose of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, Jesus is walking the shore with Peter, and He basically is sort of indicating the type of death that Peter would would die. And in verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the type of death that Peter would glorify God. Interesting. Peter, even in your worst moment, you're going to bring glory to me. Peter, I'm taking you to a place that you don't want to be, but I want you to know in that moment, you're going to bring glory to me. You're going to honor me in that moment. You're going to honor me in in, in the worst of times. Verse 20. Oh, and then he simply said, then he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw Again, distraction. Just like when he stepped out of the boat and he saw, he had his eyes on Jesus and all of a sudden it says he saw the storm and he took his eyes off Jesus. Here he is again walking with Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Peter turned and saw. How many times do we turn and see the distractions of life? And yet Jesus again speaks to him. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Speaking of John right here, Lord, what about him? Verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Get this, you must follow me. When no one else is going to follow, will you follow? If no one else is going to live as one who is sent, are you willing to live as one who is sent? If you think that no one is following you or no one's noticing, are you still going to choose to follow Jesus day by day, moment by moment? And I'm not sure what that next step to follow Jesus is for you, but I promise you, someone in this place, you've never come to know Jesus Christ personally. You know about Him, you know about church, you know all the stuff, but you've never come to that place of surrendering your life completely to say, God, I... I turn from my sin, I I turn from myself, I acknowledge your holiness, and God, I I choose to surrender myself to you, take up residence in my life, God, change me, make me the person you want me to be. If you've never had that moment of of just surrendering, I invite you to do that right now. Not not to run and leave and say, well, I'll, I'll do that later, but to do it right now. When the team leads in just a moment, I'm going to be right over here. There'll be others around the room. If you need to just come and talk and pray or or get a better understanding, what, what does that really mean? We would love to have that conversation with you today. In this room right now, settle it with Jesus. Maybe you're a follower of Christ, you you remember that moment like I did of giving my heart and life to Christ, but you've never taken that simple first step of obedience to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. What's keeping you from doing that? Well, Pastor David, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm not good in front of crowds. It's called a step of obedience. A first step of obedience. Maybe God's calling you to do something to connect with other people, to really begin to grow in your walking relationship with Christ. Maybe you'll learn how to share your faith with other people because that's what God's called us to do, to seek and to save the lost. And you're saying, hey, I need to step into some, some growth. I need to be equipped as a follower of Jesus. It's scary. Take the step. Here's what I've discovered, and I will promise you, I promise you, You take a step of obedience, as scary as it is, Jesus is gonna meet you in that place. You may not see him. You may not figure out or have any idea how he's gonna meet you there, but I promise you, if you're walking in fellowship with Jesus and you take a small step of obedience, it may seem dark and it may be scary, I promise you, God's going to meet you in that space. I don't know what your step of obedience is, but are you willing to follow Him? During this song, this altar is going to be open. If you need to come just in an attitude of prayer and and lay your life before the Lord, I invite you to do that. If you need to come and talk to somebody or pray with somebody, I invite you to do that. If you have questions, I invite you to come and just say, God, I've got questions. He's going to go, that's great. I got answers. Every single day is a choice to worship and to follow. And guys, I want to do it with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, to focus on the mission of Jesus Christ. We live in a culture, as we begin to press in next week, that is lost and separated from the love of God, and He calls us to follow Him, to live as one who is sent into scary places step by step, and He's going to meet us there. And maybe this morning your next step is simply to come and say, God, I want to be bold in my faith. There are people in my office that that I look forward to talking with uh, about football, but (laughs) God… I want to be bold enough to talk about your love and your grace for them. Would you do that? Would you come and just meet with God right here and say, God, give me the boldness, give me the courage to follow you every day, every step, every moment. Why? Because He's worthy. He's worthy of it all. We're going to sing it in just a moment, He's worthy of it all. Do you believe that? Is this going to be your prayer or is it just going to be a song? God, you're worthy of it all. We're gonna sing these words day and night, night and day, let incense arise. That's talking about a picture and Revelation of the prayers of the saints being lifted to the holy throne of God. And in that moment, God, night and day, day and night, let my incense arise. Let my prayers arise to you to choose to follow you, to choose to live as one who is sent. God, don't make this a song. Make it the prayer of our hearts as people who are passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. God, in this place, meet us in this moment as only you can because you alone are worthy. God, you're worthy of it all. In this moment, we just lay it before you. In our brokenness, in our own flesh, in our own inability to do anything that brings you honor and glory, God, we simply lay it before you because you are worthy of it all. Meet us in this moment. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.